Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Galit Speaks podcast, where I talk about all the things that matter to me. Uh, I have a, a guest on today. I'm so excited about Deanna Walker. Um, Diana Marie Walker was in an alcoholic relationship for 20 years. During that relationship, she sought assistance from therapy and Al-Anon to help her in that relationship. She recognized that there needs to be another way to help women in alcoholic relationships. So she earned a certification in life coaching and since then has been helping hundreds of women feel stronger and more confident in their relationship and life. So uh, that's like a, that's a huge thing because, um, so I, I said it a little bit in the, in the introduction for this. So anyone who's reading like the, the Facebook event or, um, you know, the YouTube um, caption will yeah. know that I was actually in a relationship with a functioning alcoholic. Mm -hmm. for almost seven years and it took a huge huge toll on me and my life yeah I actually did see that in your intro in the write-up for um this segment and I too was in a high functioning alcoholic relationship I mean my husband and I we actually built a successful real estate company we had two offices with multiple agents all the time, he was just like drinking and coming home at night. So he would do his work during the day and then come home and get drunk at night. And it was really and most people didn't believe me what I was really going through because they're like, well, how is he being you know, able to do all of this and yeah. and manage, you know, drinking in the evening, too? So I get right, it. because when we think of alcoholics, like we think of someone who is not able to function in society, mm -hmm. right? They are like drinking and, and my ex drank during the day, but not enough that he was getting drunk at work, let's right. say. Um, but like he was high functioning, like he had, he was a plant manager of mm -hmm. a huge manufacturing company. And mm -hmm. again, like, and even when he was, even at night when he was drinking, um, it, it was strange because he was usually like, he wasn't a bad drunk. Mm -hmm. He wasn't angry or screaming or breaking things. Um, my, I think that my biggest issue was that I was running my own business. Mm -hmm. And so I'd get home later than him. Mm -hmm. Like I get home like eight, maybe sometimes nine o'clock. By then, I could already see in his eyes that anything that I said to him, he would not remember in the morning. Yeah. And so at some point, you just stop talking. Yeah. So like, there's so many different types of alcohol, you know, alcoholism. And, and I think that when you're with a functioning alcoholic, it's a little bit different because you don't get the same kind of support as if you were with someone who is like noticeably an alcoholic. Is that something that you find? Well, I don't know. I mean, like you said, you're definitely right when there's a range of alcoholism, right? There's, you know, there's people who 
uh, don't drink like my husband didn't drink during the day, but then he drank at night. And um, then there's also a lot of people just think of, I was just talking to another coach friend of mine and she says like her, she would call her, her friend's husband an alcoholic, but he would never call himself that he was just a heavy drinker or he just drinks too much. And that's what people, they kind of use that terminology if they are in functioning positions because the label of alcoholic, people think of like skid row or a bum holding a you know a bottle in a bag. And that's yeah. not the case in most of the relationships. It's just, these are people who are have beautiful homes and families and whatever. And just at the end of the day, and I'm not just going to say the men, the men or the women, they're coming home and they're just drinking too much wine. You know, there's a lot of women, um, you know, with their wine. And um, so you just don't know. You can't label one size does not fit all, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, 100 yeah. percent. So what is so let's say someone is in a relationship with an alcoholic Um and they're okay. So there's being in a relationship with an alcoholic and then not being okay in that relationship. Mm -hmm. Do you, what's the next step? What do they do? Well, I think it's really, listen, there's a lot of men and women out there who are in alcoholic relationships who have no, um, no willingness to leave their relationship. You know what I mean? Like they're just going to stay there. So we really can't just say, you know, like a lot of our family and friends are always like, I'll leave the bum or kick her out. Why are you putting out with it? You know, and there's just so many people in these relationships that they're just not going to go anywhere. And there's reasons for that. So what I would offer up is like they get to decide, right? They get to decide the life they want to live. If they want to leave then you can, there are certain steps that you can take to start moving you forward to that place. But if you want to stay, there's also other things that you can do. There's tools you can create, like creating boundaries and, and stopping codependency to help you manage living in that relationship. Right. For me personally, like my goal for all of my clients, I don't care whether they stay or they go. Because my ultimate goal was, is for all my clients, is to just to live a better life. Because if you can't leave because of finances or some other reason, maybe you have a, a child that has, you know, a, an illness that both parents need to tend to or whatever the reason is. It's like, I just want you to be happier in that relationship. I want you to feel better in your life and better about yourself as best as possible, knowing all that's swirling around you. Yeah. Because I also think, I know you're just going to say something. One other thing yeah. is like, because the reason why we stay in these relationships, Glee, and you are probably well familiar, is that, you know, we are the caretakers. We are empathetic. You know, we are there, we stay in the game because we love them and we just want to fix them and make it all better. Yeah. So, you know, it, and it only each individual can decide, is there a time for them that they must do something different, whatever that is. Yeah. 
I, I think you're right. Like for me, it was, uh, it wasn't necessarily that I thought I could change him. Mm -hmm. It was that I thought that it wasn't enough. Yeah. To, like to let go of someone that I loved, that we had a good relationship mm-hmm. otherwise, that, you know, was very fair with me. And and it just came to a point where what ended up happening is that I became smaller and smaller yeah. and smaller in that relationship and lost myself. And then it was something that I needed to deal with because I did not have a person to talk to anymore, right? Like once for the first few years, I was still dealing with the, okay, he doesn't remember everything that I said the next morning and like, oh, that's a bummer. We have to just talk about it again. Right. But like after three years of that, you're like, I'm just not going to talk anymore because there's no point right now to talk. And that's when it really started to like hinder the relationship to the point where like I just wasn't coming home from the office until like 10 p.m at night one in the morning sometimes I just like threw myself into work and stopped caring about me and it was just a like a kind of like a downward spiral and I realized at that point like I and and during the whole time I had been asking him to lower the amount that he was drinking not even to stop just to like cut down and and at some point I realized okay he's never gonna do that and I'm no longer okay right and so I just need to get out and that is and every woman uh, and man has to come to that realization and wake up call right because that the same thing happened to me there was a day that after we had our first son three months after, um, and, and my husband adored and still adores the kids, but that first boy, he was just so proud of. And three months after he was born, he got his first DWI. And I remember him getting back from that evening and the look in the asylum and the just distraught in his face and realizing like, he just can't stop drinking. Like I could see the remorse in his own face that he's got this young son who he's so proud of and he was cuddling our son and, you know, tears were rolling down his face. It's like he, but he just couldn't because then three months after that, he got another DWI. So he got two DWIs in six months after the birth of our son. And it's like, you just, it was for me, it was a huge like knock upside the head. It's like, this is not a matter of you just need to stop and be a responsible parent. There's like, there's a serious issue going on here. Yeah. And now I need to figure out and get information on how I can, well, let's face it, try to fix it. I'm going to fix this problem. We just had a newborn son. We're going to, I'm going to fix this and I'm going to make it straight and we're going to live happily ever after. Right. And, um, and unfortunately we realized we can't change. And after much trying, we realized we can't change people. He has got to want to change 
in my case for my husband. And it's like, but he wasn't. So then I decided that I had to do something different. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's really the, the ultimate thing that the bottom line when it comes to addiction, right? Because Mm -hmm. alcoholism is a disease. It is an addiction. And the person with the addiction has to be the one to hit rock bottom. Absolutely. Like you can't, you can't, you can't hit rock bottom for them. Like your rock bottom is not their rock bottom. Right. And sometimes that just doesn't align. Right. Right. And really in every, in, in their, and their rock bottoms all differentiate too. Like I could have, I could have laid money on the fact that after that DW, that first DWI, that that was going to be rock bottom for my husband. Cause you know, we were successful. We had our home, we were building our life. And I thought the embarrassment of getting that would have definitely jolted him. But then, and then he, then it happened again. And so you just know that, yes, this is a disease and an addiction. And a lot of women, I hear from women and I hear in my social media posts and everything, well, you know, it's like, I'm not going to abandon them. You know, I'm not going to abandon them if, if they had cancer, you know, and it's like, if that's your stance, then that's okay. Like, I'm not going to argue with you. My only goal for you is if you're going to choose to stay with them and their disease, you too deserve some happiness and some peace in your life. And let me show you some tools and how you can create that for yourself. Okay. So that's a very interesting take. And that's one of the reasons I wanted to have you on what, you know, if you're staying in the relationship, yeah, you obviously have to make sure that you're taking care of yourself, which was yeah. something I was not doing. Yep. What would you have told me? Well, the number, the number one rule and not just alcoholic relationships, but all relationships are creating boundaries, right? And boundaries are not to punish your partner, whether you're in a, you know, I was going to say healthy relationship, but even if you're in a non-addictive relationship, it's like, you just have to know what your self-worth is and what you will accept and what you won't accept no matter. And, and from that place, it's like, if they violate your boundary, you have to stick to your guns. And unfortunately, a lot of us in alcoholic relationships, when we've been with our partner, seven, and in my case, 20 years, your confidence in your self-esteem has been whittled away down to, you know, very small amounts. And so it's like, you, you can't, you don't fight, you don't, you know, confront them. You don't like call them out on their lies. You know, when they, when they say they're going to be home and then they don't at five and they don't come home to six, we don't even say anything. Like you said yourself, you didn't even come home till 10 o'clock at night. Yeah. You I just, just come so small. Yeah. And we call that in the coaching world, you're just buffering. You're just, you were just buffering with work. You're just trying to fill up that empty space because you didn't want to address that issue. Because my guess is at that time, your self-esteem, confidence, self-trust of you and was very small and you didn't want to fight anymore. You get so tired of fighting. You're just like, I just don't want to do it anymore. Yeah. hundred percent. Like I stayed 
in the area where I felt confident, which was my work. Yeah. Knowing that I could build my business and knowing that I was good at what I did. Yeah. And that was where I stayed because that's where I felt good. Yeah. And when I came home, I didn't feel good. You know, like I did not, I did not have the confidence. I did not feel like I was being seen. I did not feel like I was being heard. Um, you know, there were other issues in that relationship and, and I felt, um, kind of oppressed because I was too much like the way that you see me now, like Mm -hmm. I, 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 I'm loud. I have blue hair. I was very much that person when I got into that relationship. I didn't have the blue hair, but I was like extra, you know, you want to call me extra? I'm extra. Mm-hmm. And with that relationship, I slowly had to become like smaller and smaller and yeah. smaller to kind of fit into whatever his idea of like what I should be. Was. Yeah. Absolutely. It's like walking on eggshells. It's like whatever I can do to minimize another blow up or blow out. It's like, I will just do this. And then we just live such a small repressed life. And so I don't want women to do that. And so by creating boundaries and breaking the habit of codependency, because we're always like looking, looking to the, what are they doing? What are they doing? Can we go shopping? Can we, you know, uh, can I run to the grocery store? Can I go out to drinks with my friends or can, you know what I mean? It's like, Can I do anything? It all relies on you're always looking toward that other person where you should go shopping. You should go out, you know, with your friends. You should be able to go exercise and not worry that, you know, your walls are going to be crumbling in on you when you return. But unfortunately, when we're in these relationships, they're so unpredictable. We don't like, for example, again, back to my small son, this is, uh, the truth is like, I actually went to the grocery store and did some grocery shopping. I came home, my husband started drinking. He had a chair pulled up alongside the stove and was making sloppy Joe's hamburger on the frying, on a frying pan with my three-year-old there. And it's like, what? I just ran to the grocery store. And it's like, it's that kind of life that you're just you, you feel like you're stuck in a box and you can't do anything, you know? And, um, and that, that what makes it so much more difficult because then we just, we just try to isolate ourselves from their behavior totally. Yeah. So do you have any tips on, because I know that there are a lot of times we think we're setting boundaries, but we're not really setting clear boundaries. Do you have Mm -hmm. any tips on like, what a boundary actually sounds like? Well, a boundary is really just stating in advance, like clearly in advance, what it is. Like, say, the, like I've been talking a lot of these past couple of weeks about holiday parties, right? Yeah. So, well, <laughs> I mean, I have been to social media because my husband, when we go to holiday parties, you know, he would over drink. And then I would start becoming the bun- the brunt of his jokes, I guess that's right. The- and so I've been telling my clients, don't allow that. Don't like, you know, don't stay silent. 
and make sure like you let them know if you start over drinking, you know, I'm going to take the car and you're going to have to take an Uber. So that would be a boundary. If you start, you know, making fun of me or whatever, again, I'm going to leave the party. You know, if you start like groping on girls, I'm going to call you out on it. You know, it's like, those are like, you tell them in advance and then you just, the bottom line is you just need to follow through because if you don't follow through, it's merely a request. I'm yeah. Requesting. Yeah. And I think also to note, like make sure that the repercussion for the boundary is something that you're willing to follow through on. Absolutely. Because I think so many times we say, I'm going to leave. Yeah. And you're not necessarily ready to leave at that point. And it, so mm -hmm. it's not, it, it doesn't work as a boundary because you're not willing to follow through on, you know, you went, you've gone to the extreme with the repercussion. Absolutely. And that's the worst thing you can do. And I just want to forewarn all your listeners out there. Don't say you're going to leave unless you're ready to go. Yeah. Because otherwise it's like, I used to say, it's like, you know, Charlie Brown's teacher for all of you who are old. like me, It's like womp, 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 right? They don't hear any of it because they just figure, oh, they just say that all the time. They just say that. So hold off on that word until you're ready on that phrase, I guess I should say, until you're ready to go, because otherwise it just falls on deaf ears. Yeah. And that's another strong boundary. Like if you do this, I am leaving and then I am leaving. Yeah. 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 Um, I think that it, it's interesting because I went in my relationship, I went the way of when it was finally at that point, there was no longer any you know, boundaries. It was, it, there was no like repercussion that I had given. It was like, no, this is just done because I had reached that point. So I didn't have, I didn't give it as a, as a boundary. Yeah. Um, I didn't give it as a repercussion. Yeah. I don't, I don't feel like in general, I ever really gave it as a repercussion. Yeah. It was more, I think that was, that was on me. Right. Yeah. It was more of I was requesting all of the time, and yeah. I was it, and I was saying what I felt and how it made me feel. Right. Um, but I wasn't necessarily giving repercussions right. to the actions. Right, and you're not alone on that. And, and I hear that's from so many of the women that I work with. It's like I'm not very good at boundaries. You know, I I kind of let them gloss over because again, we're empaths and we're people pleasers. And until we learn to love ourselves and respect ourselves and have that self trust, it's like we will always walk that line of 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 boundaries. You know, but. When you have complete self-trust and self-confidence, you will say no to your partner and mean no. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the other thing is, so I, you said, you had mentioned that you tried Alcoholics Anonymous. Well, Al-Anon. Al-Anon. Al mm -hmm. um, was that something that you agreed to with your husband or 
How did how did that happen? Well, with Ellen on how it all started is um, I was in my 30s. I was 35 when I started to go to Ellen on. And that was over 20 years ago. <laughs> so um, I had a, a three-year-old and a newborn because that's when I really had, like I had said to you, when my first son was born, you know, I, I'm like, I'm going to try to learn how to fix this. And um, so I started going to Al-Anon because it was free and I was a young mom and I could go in my lunch hours where I didn't need a babysitter. But with Al-Anon, you know, it's followed by the 12 steps of AA. I don't know if you're familiar with that. And it was just, it was nice to be with people who are relatable, but I was really looking for someone to really just help me, not just to give me ideology of how to handle my partner, you know, live and let live, turn it over to God. It's like, no, I'm like, I want action steps. (laughs) Tell me what to do. I have a three-year-old and a, you know, almost a one-year-old and tell me what to do. And so, yes, it was nice to kind of finally be with people because my girlfriends weren't married to alcoholics. My sisters weren't married to alcoholics. So it was like, in that case, it was nice to be in the comfort of other people, but they just weren't really my people that, and, and what I was looking for was, was not what they'd offer, you know, in their defense. And so then I went to therapy and with therapy, um, it was like I was talking to my girlfriend and a lot of the alcoholism wasn't addressed. And I just didn't feel like I just felt like you don't really understand what's going on. And I hear that from a lot of my clients, too. It's like the reason why they're attracted to me is because I was in the alcoholic relationship. I understand all those nuances. I can crawl around in their brain because it's like, you know, what? I've been there, done that, you know, and um So to get to where I am today, that's how I started is because I didn't feel at place or felt like it was getting really any true benefit. And like I said, I was looking for action steps. I want somebody like my therapist, your therapist is never going to tell you, well, you need to go home and tell him to stop doing this or go do this. I mean, they're just not going to do that. That that's not how therapy works. That's not what they do. (laughs) That's not what they do, right? They're supposed to like plant seeds and then let you go do it. So with coaching, you can just kind of point out, well, have you ever thought about this? And especially since I have experience with having an alcoholic partner, it's like, I already know that they've already thought about this. And, you know, but since I also have 15 years away from that relationship now, I can be like, have you ever considered doing this? Or how would it feel for you if you did this, you know, and give them a little bit more actionable steps, you know, to really get them to where they want to go in this with this relationship and just in their life in general. Yeah, I have a question. Um, So for those of us that are listening and don't really know the difference, because I I don't fully know the difference. What's the difference between Al-Anon and Alcoholics Anonymous? Al-Anon is for family members of alcoholics. Okay. And Alcoholics Anonymous is for the alcoholics. Yep. And they follow the same 12-step principles. 
but Al-Anon is for the family members. And then there's also Alcoa, which is for children of adult alcoholics, uh, children of alcoholics. And um, they have Al-Anon teens now and a whole bunch of other groups too. Okay. So, so did your, um, did your ex ever go to any kinds of treatment what you know and how did that go did you send him did he decide to go like what happened um I think when I was trying to well I don't think I know when I was trying to fix him and I was getting stronger like this is when I had started I recognized there was a problem and I did start going on and on in therapy started reading more books and recognized that I not needed to start started speaking up find my voice again and be strong. And it was hard and it was scary because you know that it's like, if I say anything about him having, you know, his six fear, it's going to go into a blow fast. Right. But then I also learned not to do it while he's drinking. You do it the next day, you know, and then when it's calm and you can talk to them and don't judge them and then have a conversation And from there, it's like, you just try to, I would say, you know, this is a problem for us. I really think you need to get help. You know, we're going to be, you may lose your family. I didn't say I was leaving. I said, you may lose your family. And just, and eventually to answer your question, he did go to AA. And the problem is for all of us women and men, you think, oh my God. And you're like, oh my God, they finally did it. Hooray. You know, my life is going to be better now. And I think my husband, I want to say went for maybe two months and then it was over. And I would also say too, I mean, for those listeners who are familiar with it, I mean, this is for anyone who's dealing with addiction and recovery. It's like, this is not a two month process. You know what I mean? It's like, you're unwinding years of self-hate, self-deprecation, you know, and that's why they're drinking. So it's like, if unless you start following all the steps and really start taking ownership of their own responsibility in that problem, they're never going to get better. So, you know, there's a lot of people who, and I, I hear it all the time, like their partners go to AA and then they drink when they leave, as soon as they leave. So... Yeah. You know, so he did, but not for long. And it's just like, I just knew like, I, I got to take care of me. And really for me, it's like, I had two little boys too. It's like, yeah, this is not the role model that I want for them. And this is not the life that I want for them. Yeah. Yeah. I, so what happened with me is, so his, his family, in general struggled with addiction and alcohol addiction. He had brothers that died um, basically from alcohol poisoning, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and he, so he knew that it was a problem in his family. Mm -hmm. Um, He did not start going to uh, um, AA until after I left. Mm -hmm. And it was like, hey, I'm in AA, take Mm -hmm. me back now, I'll be better. And, and at that point I was like, no, you have to get better for you. Right. Not because you want to get back together with me because the second we get back together, 
then it's the whole cycle is going to start again. Right, like, right. You need to get better on your own. Show me that you have like multiple years clean and you're yep. doing well. Yep. And then we could possibly talk about getting back together. And immediately after we had that conversation, he just spiraled back into alcoholism. Yeah. So it was, it was very clear that it was never going to be a lasting um, attempt. It was literally just an attempt to like bring me back so that he could start all over again. Yeah. And you're not alone on that, Gali. I mean, so again, so many partners, men and women, you know, it's like, well, and that, but for a while it works, right? Oh, baby, I'm going to stop drinking. I promise I'm going to be better. And so even if you have one foot out of the door, you're like, well, if he's going to start, then I'll just stay another, you know, month. And that month turns into a year, which turns into two years, you know, and, yeah. and it's, it's just that draw that because we really, we see the beauty in them that they don't see for themselves. Yeah. And until they really recognize that there's nothing that we can do for them, but we hold out hope that that beautiful soul will come out. And unfortunately, unless they're ready for it to come out and get the help they need, it's just like, it's just a hamster wheel we're on. It just keeps yeah. running and running and not going anywhere. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, so we've talked a little bit about, you know, why women in alcoholic relationships don't make changes. Is there any other things that you, you want to add to that? Really? Well, I think the number one reason for most women, why they don't make changes. Some are just, they can't financially, or like, like I said, how a child, a health problem. Sometimes it's just a matter of insurance. Right. But it's like for those who, are just looking to just up level their life. They just have to figure out like, what do you want? And, and where, how do you want to see your life in two to five to 10 years? Yeah. I think that a big part of it is fear, right? Yeah. The, yeah. the fear of the unknown, the yeah. fear of failure, the fear of like, not being able to do it by yourself, especially if you have a partner who's high functioning. Yeah. Right. Because like they are, they have a role in, mm -hmm. you know, the finances, they have a role in like bringing in money and, and taking care of things like, um, you know, like my, obviously my expenses went up drastically when mm -hmm. I left because like, you know, we had a dog, there was no one to walk the dog. Now I had a big dog sitter, like, you know, there's all these factors. Mm -hmm. um, and I think the, the, the initial thing is, is fear. It's like, am I going to be able to do this on my own without this person? Yeah. And it's just the fear of the unknown in general, right? It's just like, I don't know what lies ahead. And a lot of it is like, then I have to find a new place to live. And how are we going to move the kids from A to B and all these other things? And not only is just like the fear of the unknown 
of all of those day-to-day um, -day activities, but then it's also the fear of being alone. Yeah. You know, and it's like, and it's also the fear that nobody else will ever love me. And then I, and then I also pose the question to my clients is like, but do you, is this the type of love that you want to be in for your future? Like, is this really love or is this just a story, a love story that you told yourself when you met and you're still hanging on to that story? Yeah. And for so many, that's what it is. Yeah. A hundred percent. I feel like yeah. in my case, it was definitely a love story that I had when we met that I was hanging on to, yeah. um, you know, it, and he came into my life at a moment in time where mm -hmm. it just seemed like he had been put there for a reason by yeah. somebody who I cared about who had just passed away. And it, it, it had so much, you know, so much of a deeper meaning for me that mm -hmm. like losing that mm -hmm. was really hard to think about. Yeah, because you did not get into that relationship thinking that you're going to break up. Like you had dreams. You were going to vacation together, build a business together, have family together, get a dog. You know, you got a dog together. And so many women will just hang on because of that dream. They'll also hang on because of just beliefs. Like there's religious beliefs, you know, I can't get divorced. Like for me, that was one I held on to a long time. You know, it's like, I'm from old school. You don't get, my parents were divorced. So it's like, I'm not going to get divorced. And so it's like, I was doing whatever I could to get divorced, but I was also just killing myself along the process because I wouldn't let that go. Yeah. I was just hanging on to that. You know, I mean, there's arranged marriages. I mean, I, I've spoken to some clients who are in arranged marriages. I just can't because of the family. Yeah. So it's like, how can you find a way to create some happiness in your life? Yeah. So what are the ways that let's say you are, you are in there and yeah. you are not trying to leave yeah. And you don't want to leave. And now is not the time. What can you do? Well, you know, beyond what we discussed, like, you know, creating boundaries and breaking codependency, it's really just taking care of yourself. Like you said, you weren't taking care of yourself. Creating a support network, you know, like go finding interests and hobbies that fulfill you. You know, my my coach has like, they call it like, it's called a want match, like a love match, right? Whatever you can't get from your partner, you know, try to find it someplace else. Like if, if you've always wanted them to travel with you, find a travel partner. Like try to fill your life. If you are, if you are not going to leave this relationship, then try to find a way creatively to fill those needs and desires that you have so that you can bring some satisfaction and happiness into your life. Yeah. And there are people, I mean, you don't, I mean, there's many people that stay together for 60, 70 years, you know, they don't want to try. You just have to learn how to love your own life and let them be them. And just recognize yeah. that that's just who they are. And sort of like, 
me, when I looked at my husband that day and really, truly understood the depth of the problem, like it wasn't about me anymore. It wasn't about me being a, you know, a bad mother, a bad wife, you know, you know, gaining 20 pounds. It wasn't anything about that. It was all about them. And what I needed to do is redirect my focus from them and their thoughts and words about me and start creating and loving me. And when I really started to do that and loving myself and respecting myself, I did ultimately end up saying this is enough in my relationship. And I left like he had gone out on a, a bender and he wanted to come back. And I was like, no, because at that time I had the strength. I took him back two other times before because I, you know, I said, you're not coming back, you know, and he came back twice. And, and the, but, and the third time I had done the work, I had built my confidence and I believed in me. And I knew that my life would be better alone with two boys than to continue it on the path that it was in. Yeah. Do you ever think, so do you think that there is a possibility of staying and having a fulfilling life and doing all the work and not getting to that point where you realize you're not going, you know, where you realize this is not going to work? You know, and I know you're asking me this question because you think it's virtually impossible. Like I'm wondering, right. like, is it even possible? Because I feel like once you've done this work and you are, you know, living your best life and, and yeah. keeping yourself happy and you've done all this work, if you're with a partner who's not doing any work, how does that work? How do, how do you get past that? You just do. And it's all by the mental work. Because I have, there's actually, I can think of two clients that were like, they just live their life. They travel with their girlfriends, they go out, they do their things. Their husbands want to work and come home and drink and hide because if they're hiding in their house and drinking, nobody knows that they have a drinking problem and they just go live their life. You know, and it's like, it's not up for us to decide if, if they are fulfilled in their mind, and they feel this is a fulfilling, satisfying life for them, then I'm happy for them. But I, but, you know, I would say it's harder and most people aren't as strong-willed and can't cut the code, you know, the codependency ties, but it is possible. It is possible, but it's definitely on the smaller percentage. Yeah, because I know for myself when I was in it, like he, so he was actually making way more money than me, but he had way less money than me because he used to go, his food shopping every week was to go to the liquor store. Yeah. Um, and he was spending all of his money on liquor. And so mm-hmm. I didn't stop going on vacations. I just went on vacations without him. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. and like I was, I felt like, on some level, I was still doing like the things that I wanted. But my, I guess my issue was I didn't, I never got to do them with a partner. Like I wanted that for my life. Right. 
and that's where I, I don't know but you know and that's have enough where money the, to travel with me right and that's where it became that want match wasn't working for you anymore yeah so you just made a decision based on the information of even though he has the money I still want a partner not a girlfriend to travel with me yeah. so and that's where you know that's that's our journey Yeah, that's definitely, I guess, I guess, yeah, that's where the difference is, where I just wanted something different and I was not willing to settle for anything less at that point. Exactly, exactly. But for some other people, it's just okay. And, you know, and okay may not be good for you or good for me, but if it's good for them, then who are we to judge? And so, again, if they can find some happiness and if they truly believe it. Yeah. Do you feel like um, most of your clients started, um, were they also drinking in the beginning and then just gradually didn't, you know, just weren't drinking as much and then they noticed it in their partners or... Well, I can, I'll speak for myself. Um, it's like, yeah, I'm, I, I met my husband when I was 23, you know, I was out at the happy hours with him. We were Sunday football and we used to go to games and, you know, we did all the, the things and that's what you do in your twenties and thirties. But then for me, when, you know, like I said, when I had my son, and I could be like, okay, I'm a grown up now. I have a son. I'm going to stop drinking. And then he couldn't, you know, that's when for me was when I recognized the difference. But I would say, yes, a lot of people do. For a while, like when my husband like did go to AA, like I stopped drinking. And then when I was starting to get stronger and I was going to Ellen on my own, I wasn't even drinking anymore in the home, you know, and it's all just a choice. It's like what works for you because, and, and in hindsight now, and I'll say this to everybody, if I drink every single day, if that has nothing to do with whether he was going to drink or not. Right. Like my drinking has nothing to do with his drinking, his drinking. And I say him again, but it's her, it could be him or her. His drinking is just about how they feel about their life and their stuff and has nothing to do with me. Yeah. So how people handle it on the journey. Sometimes I drink, sometimes I quit. Sometimes I just drank when I was out with my friends. It just has to be, you know, um, a personal decision on your journey, but your drinking has nothing to do with their drinking. <laughs> yeah and so if somebody is living with someone who they think has a problem with alcohol mm -hmm. what are the signs how do they determine that like because a lot of times you're you like for me in the beginning I was like I don't know if this is a problem like I don't know if there's a problem here if he's an alcoholic like I I just don't know 
You know, I'd love to tell you, Galit, uh, that it was just like, there's a rule book of, okay, here's the signs. If Because for some people, it can be two beers a day. And for other people, it could be 12 beers a day. You know, for some people, it could be, you know, um, just heavy drinking Friday, Saturday, Sunday. You know, you just don't know. So my answer to your question is, if you feel that this is affecting your life and your relationship with your partner, then I would say it's something that certainly needs to be addressed. You know, if it's affecting the family, the kids, the job, if he's, if he or she, I keep seeing him because it's my experience, but yeah. you know, if they're, they're losing their job and stuff, it's like, okay, there's probably some big red flags out there, you know, and, and other, other side effects, adultery, gambling, pornography. I mean, there's all those things that come with it too. They should be addressed. And then you should, you know, just when they're not drunk or doing whatever they're doing, just try to communicate with your partner and let them know. Because one of the, the things that I do see that ends up backfiring for a lot of women is they don't address the problem with their partner. They just let it fester, 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 fester. And then they're like, I'm out, I'm out. And then they don't actually try to rectify, communicate, and clarify the problem. They just run from the problem and they just drag the issues with them. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's very important also to address the problem when they're sober. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Because that, that I feel like was an issue for me in the beginning where mm -hmm. I would see it happening and I would be addressing it, but they were already drunk at that point and did not yeah. care. Yeah. No, and none of that lasts. Yeah. Yeah. There's no use. Like I, I honestly, I kind of did the same thing that you did. Like whenever they get that look and we all know anybody in an alcoholic relationship knows the look, don't bother. Don't bother to say anything. Don't try to argue. Don't tell them it's left when it really should be right. I mean, just don't. It's just not worth it. It's just not worth it. So, but the next day, hold your own, show some strength, have some belief in you and be honest and clearly communicate without judging. Yeah. Because if you come from a place of judgment, like, you know, if you start a conversation, well, you know, you were so drunk when you had those, no when you had those 12 beers last night, nobody's going to want to talk to you. Yeah. Nothing gets resolved because who wants to be judged? It's like, and I know there are people maybe like, well, why do I, why do I even have to talk to him about this? And the reason why I suggest that you clearly communicate with them when they're not drinking is because it's for you. It's for you so when and if you decide to make a change, no matter what that change is, you can be settled with yourself and know, I told them, I told them and I was honest and I told them how I felt and I didn't judge them and they still didn't hear me or they can't hear me. And so this is what my next step needs to be.
Yeah. I have a question. Do you have like a template <laughs> for, for um, when you want to get into a conversation? Because I know that sometimes this is like a highly charged emotional conversation. And so when you're in the moment, like the next day and trying yeah. to speak, how do you make sure that you're communicating everything that you want to say? Like, do you have bullet points or like, how are you doing it? Well, no. And I think all of it is just like, I don't have any template, but maybe that's something I could start what I could do definitely a draft for my Instagram on like four ways to um, approach communication. And actually, I think I do have one there on my Instagram account, but it's really just not being judgmental, be, staying calm, not looking for answers immediately because they, because we want to get our point across and we want them to tell us what we want to hear right now. Right. Yeah. And it never works that way. So we have to be patient yeah. and we have to present ourselves in the way that we want them to present themselves to us. So it's just all a matter of being calm, direct, honest. Don't wait for an immediate response and keep it brief. Because nobody wants to beat a dead horse. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we are coming up on an hour. So I want to give you a chance um, to tell the audience, like, what are the ways that you coach? How can they reach you? And all that good stuff. Well, you can reach me primarily on my website, which is Deanna, D-E-A-N-N-A. Marie, M-A-R-I-E, lifecoaching.com. And my style of coaching, I just do one-to-one -one coaching right now. And my style of coaching is really just getting to the root of what your current issue is in your relationship. You know, like I said, I have some people who are living with alcoholics and just want to find a better way. I have other ones who are trying to leave that relationship. Again, I have no skin in the game. My goal is for you just to create a better life. It's such a hard life to live in an alcoholic relationship because it's just emotionally draining and taxing. And I just really want women to understand that they do have more power Women and men have more power in this relationship than they think they have. And there are ways to become happier and more fulfilled. And then from that place, once they're feeling strong and confident, if they want to make another decision, then that's up to them. But in the meantime, let's get all partners of alcoholic back, you know, feeling like an equal as opposed to, like you said, feeling small and repressed. Yeah. And do you, besides for like one-on-one -on -one coaching, do you also offer like group coaching and support groups? Well, I do have a Facebook group. It's called Deanna Marie Life Coaching. It's for partners of alcoholic. Um, it is on Facebook and my Instagram. I'm providing always tips and tools is Deanna Marie Life Coaching. And I actually have some additional free resources that you can find on my website at GianaMarieLifeCoaching.com. So I try to keep it easy. It's all Deanna Marie Life Coaching, one way or another.com, Facebook or Instagram. 
and there's a whole bunch of information on there. You'll get to hear a little bit more about my story and how I can help you. And again, it's just life is too short, everyone. It's just like, you know, instead of staying and enduring and leaving and regretting or worrying, then how about number three, building some happiness and then deciding from that point. So that's my goal. Thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate it. This was amazing. And if anyone that is listening now or watching this on the replay or listening to this on, you know, one of the podcasts, please make sure to share this, share, like, subscribe, make sure that it gets to the person that needs to hear it because these are such valuable tips. And I know for myself, like I would have needed this. I needed this, you know, 10 years ago. And I wish that that resource had been available to me. And you never know who is going through this because a lot of times it's so hidden. And that's so true, Gilly. You really just hit it over the head because so many partners are suffering in silence and don't want to talk about this because they feel like somehow they're embarrassed, they're ashamed, or they feel like they're failing in some way. And it has nothing to do with them as a person. It's just, like you said, it's a disease and addiction, which takes its toll on us. And it's like, how can we turn this around so that they can still live a better life? Yeah. All right. Um, If anyone needs to reach out to me, it is Galit Speaks on all the different things, YouTube, uh, Facebook, Instagram, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. (laughs) If you can find me, I'll be there. Um, Please reach out if you need to and stay tuned. Uh, Next week, we have another guest on with an awesome topic. Thank you so, so much, Deanna, for being here. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. Good night, everyone. Good night.